The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome, everybody. This is Squawk Box. Let's get into your headlines. U.S. inflation hitting its highest level since 1981 as energy and food prices surge. But the core reading leads some to suggest price pressures may be peaking while President Biden lays the blame firmly with the Russian leader. We saw today's inflation data. 70% of the increase in prices in March came from Putin's price hike in gasoline. We need to address this challenge with an urgency to demand. Chinese trade with Russia rises by almost 30% in the first quarter, but monthly imports from the rest of the world fall amid global supply disruptions. Meantime, US President Joe Biden labels the Russian invasion of Ukraine as genocide for the first time, while the Russian leader Vladimir Putin says peace talks with Kyiv are at a dead end. French luxury giant LVMH reports a solid jump in sales on strong demand for Dior and Louis Vuitton. But the group warns it's hard to say when demand from China will recover. Chinese authorities have gained some considerable experience in the way they, uh, they deal with such uh, situations. And we can, we can only uh, rely on them to, 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 make, to make the best of, of a reasonably complex um, situation. So very good morning, everybody. Let's kick off the program looking at this big inflation number then. When you and I were sat here yesterday, we were speculating at 8.4%. And pretty much all of the people that we spoke to through the course of the morning on the program said 8.4%, that's quite worrying. The markets won't like it. It has implications for what the Fed is going to do. And yet we got 8.5%. And actually, the markets didn't quite react the way that a lot of our analysts and our strategists suggested. So we'll get to the market reaction in just a moment. But let me just walk you through some of the detail on this headline number. Prices rising then 8.5% from a year ago. That is the highest year-on-year reading since December 1981. You remember December 1981, Ronald Reagan in the Oval Office. You've got to go back some, don't you, to remember that period of time when things were also different geopolitically. Weren't we in a Cold War? Weren't we battling the uh, threat from the East, the Red Star? Oh, hang on, it all feels a little bit like that again, doesn't it, geopolitically and in terms of inflation. So the big component here, energy costs, fueling the price jump, 11% month on month. There was an 18% surge in gasoline prices, which accounted for more than half the overall CPI increase. And look, we all know food prices have gone up 1% month on month. Grocery prices then adding to the overall upward pressure here, jumping 10% on the year. So why did the bond yields fall? 18 basis points coming off the two-year yield. Incredible. A remarkable movement across the curve in terms of how the Treasuries reacted to this story. And I'll show you some of the numbers in just a moment. But here's your explanation. 
the core number, which stripped out energy and food, basically rose less than expected. So the March core CPI was up 0.3% on the month. That was significantly below the Dow Jones uh, forecasts. And the, um, the number actually offers the suggestion, the tantalizing suggestion, that inflation may have peaked. Well, that's the way the markets do, decided to react to it ultimately. So uh, let's leave you with that thought. This is where the core number came in if you strip out energy, fuel, and uh, uh, of course food prices and there was a a big component in the overall inflation basket that dropped very sharply that was used car prices down three and a half percent is that big decline in used car prices enough to make you believe that we've had the peak in inflationary momentum well the treasury market seemed to think so let's show you the uh, the wall here then and the big move on the two-year as i say brought the yield back to two spot four percent the uh, five-year note two spot seven the 10-year note barely above that uh, two spot seven five but the market continues to remain steep and for those of you not familiar with the concept of why that matters if you see a steep curve basically the argument is that we are not heading into recession there is still a belief that we have economic growth to come and the shape of the curve reflects that expectation of growth so all of those people just a week or so ago who were getting all worried about the inversion on the yield curve are now saying oh well actually there's no inversion here and the 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 yield gap um, has actually uh, increased or the spread as they call it between the twos and the tens and the twos and the thirties that should be a source of some comfort they argue what about the equity markets then um, were they frightened by what happened well the numbers that we ultimately got to the close don't tell you the whole story because intraday we saw these markets moving up into positive territory and it was only really as we came into the latter part of the trading session and maybe we've got a session chart that can show you actually uh, some of that performance it was only when we got into the latter part of the uh, the session here that people started to scratch their head a bit and say used car prices really is that the reason we think this inflation trend has peaked here? And then there was the other side of the coin with the, uh, the people in the inflation camp who argue that inflation actually is not a bad story for equities who were saying, well, actually, I've been moving my portfolio into those stocks and sectors that would benefit from a little bit of inflation. If it's peaked, what does that now mean for me? Do I need to rethink the way I rotated within my portfolio? Anyway, the, the session chart here just indicates how we had that rise. And then through the course of the, uh, the trading session, the market kind of went, mm, yeah, I don't know about this. But you know what? That was just one day. Today, we get another chance to look at some of the inflationary pressures. Karen, let me hand it off to you for PPI. 
Jeff, thank you. Terrific summary. And I think the problem is we've still got pressures coming through when it comes to inflation, one from Russia, but the other source really around the pandemic still, as we see China having parts of the country in lockdown, impacting supply chains. So very much a focus on the factory gate today as fresh data on U.S. producer prices for March is expected later on today. In February, you may recall the index rose by less than expected uh, forecast 0.8% month on month, but the year-on-year figure was still significantly higher at 10%. So we'll be looking for some cooling off there. Don't forget higher prices can be passed on to the consumer. Meantime, President Joe Biden says his administration is tackling price pressures, but warned Russia's actions will continue to impact global markets. We saw today's inflation data. 70% of the increase in prices in March came from Putin's price hike in gasoline. We need to address this challenge with an urgency to the demands. That's why I've called on Congress to move immediately to lower the cost of families' utility bills, prescription drug bills, and more, while lowering the deficit to reduce inflationary pressures. And that's what we've done. We lowered the deficit by $300 billion so far. Joe Biden now. Well, Fed Governor Lael Brainard welcomed the CPI reading, saying it would help the central bank uh, bring down inflation to its 2% target. Returning to post-pandemic norms, uh, Brainard was more optimistic than Richmond Fed President Thomas Barkin, who indicated that more vigilance would be needed to maintain medium-term inflation. Both agree on the need for near-term rate hikes. And uh, Brainard introduced a, a new word to the monetary policy discussion. She said the Federal Reserve would act expeditiously, which had, I guess, a lot of less learned market participants rushing to their Merriam-Webster to find out what expeditious, expeditiously uh, actually meant, uh, even if they struggled to pronounce it. Um, and one of the synonyms for expeditiously is actually willing. And I'm not sure that a lot in the market are willing for the Fed to go 50 basis points, 50 basis points, 50 basis points at sequential meetings over the rest of this year. But we'll have to see. Um, There was some criticism uh, for the Federal Reserve from Democrat uh, Senator Joe Manchin. He was critical of Joe Biden's comments following the latest CPI reading, saying, quote, Americans know the truth behind the headline consumer price rise. Uh, Manchin, who often fails to toe the president's party line, added that is, quote, a disservice to the American people to act as if inflation is a new phenomenon. He then went on to talk about the $30 trillion debt that the United States carries. Tom Koslick is with us, head of research and analytics at Hilltop Securities. Tom, great to have you here this morning. If I could just ask you, that there, were, there was a lot of information for the market to take away yesterday, and clearly in the price action, the market is still trying to get its head around what this latest inflation number and the subcomponents mean. What do you think it means for monetary policy? Yeah, I think that it was a really good lead up, uh, that, as you were just describing, and I do think that uh, the market still hasn't figured that out. I think that uh, you know, in the things that the market is considering right now, besides what the Fed is going to do, is they're thinking inflation, inflation, inflation. It's hot, 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 and almost nobody likes it. Uh, the White House doesn't like it. Uh, workers don't like it. Uh, investors don't like it. 
And the Fed is starting to, I don't want to say that the Fed likes it, but I think that, you know, leading into your question, I think that the Fed has been bullying up for the last couple of weeks about the reality that they were expecting to receive yesterday and that inflation is hot and they're going to have to do something about it. Well, let's have a look at some of the coincidental uh, economic indicators. And one of those that we know the Fed has been latched onto is the state of the job market in the United States. Can we say clearly and unambiguously that the labor market is still in good shape in the US and so we don't need to be too concerned about an erosion of growth at this stage? So the labor market, the labor market numbers look good. One of the things that doesn't look good when you have inflation running this hot is you've got the fact that compared to around this time last year, the average U.S. family, and I'm citing uh, Moody's analytics data, the average family is spending about $350 extra a month. And that is really hitting uh, the pocketbook of the folks in the United States. And that's going to have some political fallout as well. One of the things that I've been looking at really closely is how this is going to play into uh, the dynamics in the larger labor market. One of the things that we just published actually this past week was a survey of 130 fixed income analysts and analysts that focus in the municipal bond market. And one of the things that about almost 90% of those analysts think that there's going to be some impact with regard to remote work in the medium to long term as a result of this fallout. Tom, can I just jump in and ask you a little bit more about the spending patterns we're seeing so far then? At this stage, it feels as though we've seen a little bit of heat come out of the car market from new to to used cars. Housing, that's a fascinating one given we're seeing the escalation mortgage prices, but not so in the, the travel sector just yet. Is this typical? Do we see the big ticket items hit first in an inflationary environment with higher rates than some of the more small discretionary spend? I think that one of the things that folks are trying to figure out right now, just from a bigger picture perspective, is what is going to continue to drive and not just drive inflation, but whether or not inflation has hit its peak. Uh, You know, as I've been looking at the energy numbers, it doesn't seem to me, I know that some folks are hoping that the energy price, that energy prices are going to tail off. It doesn't seem to me that unless you're just taking a very optimistic tone, that energy prices are going to be falling all that significantly from here, number one. Number two, on the commodities side, uh, you know, commodities have been also running hot. And that's one of the things that's really contributing to what it is that we're seeing. And I was talking to our lead commodities strategist today, and he said that he doesn't see that there's any reason of why it is that commodities prices are going to be falling. If anything, he sees that there, that a lot of the commodities prices are still going to be uh, increasing over not just the next couple of months, but through probably the end of the summer, at least. Tom, where does that leave Fed policy, though? Because there was a lot in Brainard's comments that could be considered hawkish. But if you look for the dovish messages, I mean, she was indicating there was concern about dampening growth here. If you uh, see you know, monetary policy that's too tight, what do you make of those concerns about keeping growth intact for the Fed? Well, and one of the things that I'm going to be looking for this week especially is to see what the retail uh, sales numbers look like. Uh, that three, that you know, $300, $350 a month that... Uh, could be going into other areas of the economy. If that's going into uh, areas that are adding to growth, then that's going to be, in my mind, concerning. I think that one of the things that 
the Fed is going to have to te- to deal with now is not, you know, they have been telegraphing over the last couple of weeks that they are going to uh, really strongly consider something that along the lines of 50 basis points. Uh, but I think that um, one of the things that the Fed is really going to be watching uh, is, is the results of the, those retail sales numbers as well. Tom, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Uh, much appreciated. Tom Koslick with us, Head of Research and Analytics at Hilltop Securities. And speaking of 50 basis points, let's take a look at what the Kiwi has been up to as the Reserve Bank of New Zealand has raised rates by 50 basis points. It's the biggest hike in more than 20 years. The central bank said the move is, which is its fourth hike in a row, allows for greater flexibility amid an uncertain outlook. Canada's central bank is also expected to deliver a 50 basis point rate hike today. Inflation in the country is currently sitting at 5.7%, a three-decade high. The move would be the Bank of Canada's first half-point hike since the year 2000. Bitcoin is feeling the squeeze as risk assets continue to come under pressure. This week, we're going to hear from experts in the crypto space from Paris, a blockchain summit. Stay tuned for those interviews today and tomorrow, Jeff. Yeah, thanks very much, Karen. Chinese export growth slowing in March. But there was one notable exception in terms of those trade flows. Uh, We will tell you which country saw its growth with China uh, increase when we come back. And for more on that crucial US inflation print and what it means for the markets and the Fed, you can check out the Squawkbox podcast. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Welcome back, everybody. What do you do if you think that inflation has peaked and you are looking at Asian markets? Uh, Well, apparently you buy, um, if uh, the activity we see this morning is anything to go by. In particular, the Nikkei 225 is getting some support here. And unsurprisingly, if you are a commodity price taker, which the Japanese are, particularly with energy, Any indication that energy prices may have now peaked and overall inflation may be starting to wane would be seen as a strong positive for the corporate sector in Japan. The market logically buying Japanese equities this morning in the hope that that American CPI number does indicate that we are starting to ride over the inflation hump. But we'll see. Um, Australia. Uh, still getting a, a little bit of a bounce here in spite of that number, uh, up um, uh, three-tenths of one percent. Only the Shanghai Composite looking a little bit weak here as the authorities uh, continue this very messy crackdown in Shanghai, albeit with some recent relaxation. Um, opening calls for Europe. How are we poised for the start of the European trading session? Well, we've had a couple of 
poor sessions, haven't we, for those long the market. These opening calls do suggest that it will be a weak start to trade, but let's wait and watch and see what unfolds here, given how positive the overall tone seems to have been for the, Europe, for the Asian session here, and as the market tries to second guess what the European Central Bank may have in line for us. The uh, oil price, let's just show you where we are on the headline crude price this morning. And we continue to sit somewhere around these $100 a barrel averages. Spot gold getting a little bit of a bid here, which um, I guess would be unsurprising if we might see a little bit of an easing back on the upside that we've seen for the dollar recently, which has made trying to give yourself some protection in gold quite expensive if you are based in another currency, Karen. And Jeff, a little bit of an update from OPEC, and uh, OPEC has revised its forecast for global economic growth for the year to 3.9%. That is from 4.2%. This is the Russia-Ukraine war continues to hamper supply, driving up oil and triggering high commodity prices. The oil bloc cut its forecast for Russian production by 530,000 barrels per day to 10.8 million barrels, while raising U.S. production expectations by 261,000 barrels per day. OPEC expects the eurozone and Russian economy to shrink further and says the global economy would be severely impacted should the Russia-Ukraine war stretch into the second half of the year. The World Trade Organization has cut its forecast for global trade growth this year to 3% from 4.7%. Citing the impact of ongoing geopolitical tensions, the group is warning of a potential food crisis due to export disruption caused by Russia's war in Ukraine. The report also highlighting the effect new lockdowns in China will have on growth, saying the global economy is facing an extremely difficult set of circumstances. Chinese imports unexpectedly declined in March, while exports rose by under 15% on the year, which was higher than expected, but slower than a month ago. Beijing's trade volumes with Russia rose during the first quarter by 28% to just over $38 billion. According to Chinese customs authorities, normal economic ties have, quote, been maintained with Russia as well as with Ukraine and other countries amid the rising geopolitical tensions. Let's get to Sam for more on these trade figures and an interesting set of numbers for us to conjure with. Shame I didn't see a breakdown as to what that 28% spike with Russia means in terms of imports and exports, Sam. Yeah, that's something that will be very interesting to look at, actually, Jeff. And it was interesting that the Customs Bureau actually published that uh, trade data with Russia, which they typically don't do. But, of course, given the geopolitical uncertainties and situation going on at the moment, uh, this was something that they uh, probably felt that they should do. And particularly after uh, Putin and Xi, of course, signed those uh, deals when it came to uh, gas and uh, oil uh, a few months ago when they declared this no limits of friendship. And uh, certainly we have been waiting and 
and watching to see how Chinese companies are navigating uh, these sanctions that have been uh, placed on Moscow coming from the West. But really a bit of a mixed bag of data that we got today, as you say, a bit of a surprise to the upside on the export side of things, a real disappointment on the import side of things. So really uh, a couple of interesting stories playing out here, which perhaps capture what is going on uh, in the global economy with regards to trade at the moment. I'll start with those imports because that was a sharp drop. We did see uh, that actually declining for the first time since August 2020. Certainly analysts, economists were expecting to see a slowdown there, but they were only looking at around a double digit growth of around 8%. But this was uh, a decline. And in terms of what happened there, of course, China is a big customer of iron ore and things like coal, but coal fell around 40% as those higher prices certainly appeared to deter those customers. We saw the iron ore imports falling 15% as those shipments were held up because of what is going on around the geopolitical uncertainties at the moment. Natural gas imports also hit their lowest since October 2020. Now this came off the back of those higher raw material costs which soared particularly in the first two weeks of March. So what we have seen playing out here is these Chinese buyers sort of shying away from these expensive commodities and turning now to their domestic supplies which have these price controls in place because of course Beijing has been telling the coal miners and etc to ramp up production really to stabilize those prices and actually we have just seen uh, the energy stocks are ticking up uh, off the back of this sitting up around 2.7 percent at the moment the markets are, are still perhaps digesting some of these numbers as we only got them out in the lunch break so that's what happened on the import side of things uh, the exports were an interesting story as I say a surprise to the upside it was a slowdown from what we saw in January and February, no doubt, as the geopolitical situation off the back of the Ukraine crisis is weighing on things a little bit in terms of the global trading picture and also the lockdowns that we have seen in these critical manufacturing hubs like Shenzhen and Shanghai. But this is still strong double-digit growth that we have seen on the export side of things. And that's just really further evidence that China still has a large share of this export market. It has been a bright spot, certainly in the Chinese economy. And it just goes to show, uh, Karen, that there is still strong demand for what is out there at the moment for goods coming out of China. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.